All right, so I want to press with you today then into 1 Timothy chapter 1. And we'll be there in just a minute, so you can turn there if you'd like to. But we're going to look into this theme here of trusting God's plan. And we're just going to title this very simply, Trust the Plan. So this thought is just about it works, right? Just, you just got to put your faith in it and trust it. It's not blind. It's not cross your fingers, hope kind of thing. Uh, it's this is the plan of God, and he says to trust him because it works. So First uh, Timothy 1, if you don't have a Bible, if you'd let us know, we'd love to get one for you. And I'd love for you just to use it, mark it up, write in it, whatever you need to do to make it personal, um, you do so, okay? All right, so to start, though, let's, let's ask some questions and talk here a little bit uh, to get into this. So feel free to interact with me. Um, you ever have difficulty trusting the plan? Like, let's say it this way. Have you ever had difficulty following instructions? You know, following instructions or maybe like for a recipe? You know, some of you ladies, maybe even some of you guys here, you're really good at baking and cooking, and I am not. I mean, I'm just, I am not good. I need exact measurements. So if I'm in your kitchen and I watch you and you're picking up a little of this and throwing it in, you're kind of dumping in a little something, you're not measuring anything, I need to know, okay? So if I'm over your shoulder, I'm like, how much salt was that? You know, how much vanilla was that? Like, what did you just do? Okay, for you, it just kind of, you're creative and you know how stuff works. So maybe sometimes it's okay for you to not to follow instructions. I promise you, if you're coming to my house to eat and I'm cooking, you want me to follow instructions. I don't wing it very well when it comes to food. Okay, I'm the guy, when I open up a box to put together whatever it is, I lay out every part, and I go through the instruction manual, and I make sure all the parts they say are there are here. And if they're not here, I'll put it back in the box, seal it up, and take it back, right? I mean, what's the point of starting if, uh, if all the parts aren't there? So some of you are probably like, eh, who needs the instructions? I know what this should look like, so we just dive in and put it together, and we've got all these random leftover parts. You know the parts the manufacturer sends you just in case you need them? You know, the unnecessary parts? <laughs> You've probably got a drawer full of unnecessary parts, right? I know this goes somewhere. I'm just not sure where. Uh, I wish I had the creative gene and the creative mind um, that some of you have, okay? Uh, some of you could look at a pile of wood and go, man, I can see furniture in that. Or I can see cabinets in that. You know, or I can see offense in that, or I can see something in that to make something. When I look at it, all I see is wood, okay? Now, if you give me a lesson plan or an, a blueprint, hey, I can work off that. I wish I had that creative gene that some of you have. I am just not creative like that, all right? I'm just not that creative, so I need instructions. So let's go one step further. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you mess something up because you didn't follow instructions. Anybody want to share just quickly? Maybe you just say, this is what I messed up. Anybody messed up something? Oh, yeah. Yeah, from my vantage point, I saw just about every head doing this. So we've all messed up something, right, by failing to follow the instructions. Well, I'll go. Right? I'll share one here. Not too long ago, we decided that we needed some shop backs. <laughs> so we bought every one that Lowe's had. Right? Our basement was in need of some attention, and so we, we were doing some work. So went and bought these shop backs. And so my wife had put one together, 
and I didn't see how it went together, okay? But if you've, you know what a shop vac is, right? It's kind of this big industrial vacuum that can, can vacuum up water or dust or whatever. Big debris. Uh, so all there is, there's kind of this big, like, these were like uh, five-gallon kind of bucket things, motor on top, a hose. That was all together. All you had to do was put the four wheels on it. So you had four wheels. You had these four little plastic housings that the wheels fit into, and then each one of those housings had a screw that connected it to the whole shop back. Are you with me? All right. So I pull out all these parts like I do and lay it out, and I see the instructions, and the instructions is on a piece of paper about this big. And so what do I do? I just lay it aside. You know, I think to myself, if I can't figure this out, I got bigger problems than water in my basement, right? I got some serious issues. If I can't put four wheels on a shop vac, I've got problems. So I grab the plastic housing and I grab the wheel. And so it's this wheel and it's got this maybe inch and a half shaft that comes off of it. And you got to connect the wheel to the plastic housing. And so I'm pushing and pushing and pushing. And I couldn't get that thing to snap in place for nothing. And so I'm starting to get a little bit, you know, um, okay, irritated. I was trying to think of a good pastor word, right? I'm getting frustrated is what I'm getting. You know, I'm not angry, but I am not happy. And so you know what happens when your drilling gets pumped. You start pushing harder, and that's when you tend to break things. Pushing harder and pushing harder, nothing happens. So finally I'm just grunting like, Ugh! Well, this thing finally goes together. And what I didn't realize is that the edge of my finger was underneath that little shaft. And so there was a big piece of skin that just went right off, and it's still in my shop back. And I mean, instantly just started bleeding and it was all over the floor. And so I'm running upstairs and cleaning this thing off and wrapping it and putting a Band-Aid on it. And I come downstairs and Stephanie was down there and she said, you're like, where have you been? What happened? And so I was telling her, I was trying to put this wheel on this shop back and I tore, tore my finger up. And she just looked at me like, it's not hard. You know, did you follow the instructions? Like she had already put one together. Did you follow the instructions? Uh... <laughs> This is who you married, okay? <laughs> I need instructions to put four wheels on a shop back. And so I, okay, so I go back to the instructions, and what it tells you to do is put the little plastic pieces on the shop back, put the wheels in the plastic and set it down, and then just push down on the shop back. And they all just click in. I mean, they clicked in like that. And so she was looking at me like she wasn't very proud to be married to me at that point, right? There was no more blood after those three, or after the first one, rather. I finally got it figured out. So sometimes the instructions, I mean, they were right there next to the box. They were staring at me, making a mess of my finger. And I willingly just laid it aside because I felt like, you know what, I don't need those. I should be able to figure this out. It's not that hard. And I think sometimes that carries over into my life. You know, God, I'll set aside your plan because I think that I've got this figured out. So I'm going to trust my instinct. I'm going to trust my gut. I'm going to trust how I feel or what I'm planning to do. I set this aside and I go my own way and then I wonder why it didn't turn out well. I wonder why I made a mess of things. It's simply because I laid aside God's plan because I thought I could do it on my own. So today we're going to look into this thing of trusting the plan. Right? So next time you see some instructions, you're going to read them, aren't you? Right? <laughs> you're going to look at them and say, hey, that's how we need to do things. All right, so 1 Timothy chapter 1, let's head that direction. And we've got a, man, there's just a great relationship here between Paul and Timothy. You know, Paul says of Timothy, this is my son in Christ. Like he just, he loved this guy. And he wanted to see uh, Timothy just really 
uh, soar. He wanted to see him just flourish. And so he did everything he could to invest what's true and to encourage Timothy, like, this is what life's going to look like for you, bud. This is how you live. And so he took great care here to, to try to encourage Timothy. And we're going to see him here. Paul's getting ready to travel away, which was often the case with Timothy. Paul would come and kind of get it started. He would travel to another city. Timothy would stay and kind of begin to train and disciple, mentor people, help try to establish a church. Then he would catch up later with Paul and do the same thing where Paul had kind of started another work. And Timothy would come in and help that, try to get established and, and further there as well. So here Paul's going to say, hey, stay in Ephesus. Just stay here. Right? I want you to take care of things here. And here's how you'll do it. And part of this, he's going to tell him, I want you to remember, you've got to trust the plan of God. All right? So we'll read this whole chapter, chapter 1. And this is Paul's kind of heart to Timothy. This is what it looks like to trust in the plan of God. So here we have Paul. Paul, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. And this is to Timothy, my true son in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things just promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. And so we've got the contrast of speculation here. Things untrue or just try to figure it out or concrete, which is faith. The goal of this command, why I'm telling you to stay in Ephesus, is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Now some have departed from these and they've turned to meaningless talk. And they want to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. And so we know this, Timothy. We know the law is good if one uses it properly. And we also know the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers. And the rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders, liars, perjurers, uh, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he has entrusted to me. And so he's giving him here just not a, uh, an exhaustive list. Here's some things, though, that are contrary to sound doctrine. And he's taking great care because it's been entrusted to him. And so I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. And even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And so here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he adds this to, of himself, of who I am, of whom I'm the worst. But for that very reason, being the worst sinner ever, but for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience. And this is an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And so, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you might fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. 
Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Okay? And so here we've got just an example right at the end. Paul's the example initially, trusting the plan of God. He's encouraging Timothy, trust the plan of God. And then he gives an example of a couple individuals who've done the very opposite thing. They've turned from the plan of God to follow their own path, their own way. All right, so a few things here from this text. We're going to talk about what it means to trust God, okay? What it means to really follow the plan. And so if you're following along in your bulletin, write these down. You don't have to whatsoever. Um, but sometimes it's good to have a place to take a note, all right? Number one, trusting God's going to mean we've got to uphold sound doctrine, all right? We've got to uphold sound doctrine. So what we're saying here, you've got to uphold the plan, right? And to uphold the plan means you first have to know the plan. And so here he's just refreshing in his mind, Timothy, everything I've invested in you, this is the plan of God, and it's sound, and it's good, and it's not contrary to the gospel. This is what's right, so uphold this plan. Uphold sound doctrine. And Paul knew that Timothy was going to be up against lots of things. And part of what he outlines is this. There's going to be some false teachers who are going to share doctrine that is not sound. They're putting their hope in men or in myths or in their uh, lineage, or they're just speculating about things. Okay, and hey, this guy's got a good thought, let's follow him. Or no, hey, this lady, she's got a good idea, let's follow her. And they're just kind of speculating about how things might work. And what they're doing is leading people away from sound doctrine. They're leading people away from the heart of the gospel. Uh, and Paul also says, listen, Timothy, this works against advancing the work of the kingdom. Right? So we're here, we want to see the gospel flourish, and I want to see it flourish in Ephesus. And for that to happen, man, you've got to uphold what's true. You've got to hold out the truth. You know, for me to hold out something as true, I first got to believe in it. Right? I'll never hold out something to you as true if I don't buy it myself. I might throw it out, here's a theory, or here's a hypothesis, or here's an opinion of so-and-so, but I won't share it with you as though this is sound. To share it as sound, it must first own me so then I can own it and share it uh, as the Apostle Paul here is sharing with Timothy. Now, Paul's going to go in here and to clarify why. Right? Why do we share sound doctrine? Why do we uphold sound doctrine? So initially, this is like holding it out in a generation that's fading away from it. Okay? We're going to talk here in a minute about letting it influence the person, but this is about in a culture that is uh, consistently moving away from what's sound, you've got to be you've got to be the voice that's holding out what's true. Okay? We can't just let these things kind of reverberate throughout the airwaves without having what's true push back. So uphold sound doctrine where you are. Now here's why. Let's go to verse 5. We see this a couple different places, but verse 5 he says, the goal of this command, stay in Ephesus and battle against this um, false teaching, the goal of this is love. Right? The goal of this is love. It's not that people just get correct ideas. It's that people understand that there is a God who loves them and that they in turn will love this God. The goal of this command is love. And this love comes from a pure heart. And it comes from a good conscience. And it comes from a sincere faith. And so Paul's saying that the goal here is to lead people to a proper love. To love God correctly. And the end result then is if I love God rightly, who else do I love rightly? I'll love other people, okay? Which is the, that's the law and the commandments, right? So don't, let's remember what Jesus said, rather. Remember, Jesus didn't say, I've come to do away with the law. What did he say? 
I've come to be the fulfillment of the law. Okay? So the law just points out that, hey, you can't do it on your own. You're not good enough. None of us are. If we could be perfect, we read it this morning. If I could attain righteousness on my own, then I wouldn't need to surrender all. I wouldn't need to trust in Jesus because I could just do what's right all the time on my own. But because I couldn't, all right? The law says, hey, you're a sinner. Uh, the gospel then comes inside or alongside here, the law, and says, hey, and here's your Savior. Great sinner, John Newton said. That's the law. Uh, the, the gospel says, and he's a great Savior. And you put these two together, one points to the next, and you can get what we have here. Pure heart, good conscience, and a sound faith. Now he's also going to go on here just a few verses later and outline this further. And this is talking about the law. We know the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders, liars, perjurers. And then he throws this in. And whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Okay? Whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Where do we get sound doctrine from? It comes from the gospel. It's in conformity with what's true. What Jesus came to live and to die for and to resurrect, to defeat, so then we could be freed from anything that's contrary to sound doctrine. So this has got to conform to the gospel here that concerns the glory of the blessed God, which he has entrusted to me. And so here you see Paul's got great concern for the glory of God, doesn't he? And that's what he's after here. He's not willing to let anything um, cause what's been entrusted to him to be manipulated or to fade. And that's what being entrusted looks like. You know, if I have a, uh, let's say that I have, you know, a rich friend who dies and they've left me $100,000. And they say, listen, this money is entrusted to you. They're not asking me just to put this in a bank and let it sit there. Entrusted means you use it in a way that has wisdom and skill and that's beneficial. It's not just lazy or it's not selfish or it's not just throwing it into the wind, but it's, it's useful, it's helpful. That's entrusted. Okay? Paul had been entrusted with what? He's been entrusted with the gospel. He's a believer. He was a disciple, follower of Jesus. If you are a disciple, follower of Jesus here, you know what you've been entrusted with? The gospel. And from the gospel, you get sound doctrine. And you've got a responsibility, as do I, to uphold sound doctrine. Because this is part of the plan of God. And so to sit silently or to let somebody think in error because I just want to avoid confrontation or I want to protect their friendship does not follow the plan of God. Right? The end goal here is not let me get in your face and tell you what's right. The end goal here is that you would love God. That you would know what's right. You would have a true faith, this clear conscience, this sincere love for God that would flow over in a sincere love for other people. So if we say we trust it, we've got to uphold it. And, and we're in a culture that's currently just watering this down. Right? Uh, and by, let, me, let me get more specific. We're in a Christian culture that's looking to minimize and, and water some of these things down. So we're diluting the gospel, we're diluting sound doctrine to appeal supposedly to more people so we can be more relevant so they'll come in and here's the, the grace of God and here's the love of God without talking about and here's the justice of God, here's the holiness of God, right? here's the sin that you and I need to deal with, here are the things that we need to put away. So trusting God's plan means we've got to uphold sound doctrine. Right? So if I trust it, I'll hold it out. If I don't trust it, I'll say, eh, believe what you want. All right? Uphold sound doctrine. Secondly here, trusting God's plan means we're going to give sound doctrine priority. 
We're going to give it priority in, in our lives. And so what I mean by that is this. Where I have an opinion or a belief, and then I read God's Word, and God's Word says something different than my opinion or belief, then who should win there? My opinion or the Word of God? Okay, it better be the Word of God, right, if we're following Him. By the way, let's remember here, you know, being a Christian or a disciple is not just, okay, I'm going to do this and not do that. It's not about being good people. We're on mission, right? And there's a standard, and the standard's perfection, and I can't water that down anyway, right? I've got to aim for the highest standard, which is Christ. And so we've got to pursue that here. And so where God's Word says, this is what you must do, go make disciples, as a Christian, can I go over here and say, nah, I don't feel like doing that. I'm just going to work and make a good living and retire and just, I'll be a nice person. I'll support other people doing their thing for the Lord, but that's just not meant for me. No, that's anti-church, right? That's anti-mission. That works totally opposite of what Jesus came to establish. That's totally against what he has sent us to do, right? So we've got to be faithful in not just trying to like modify behavior, but we need to be faithful here in living out this thing on mission. And so the way this happens here initially in us, right? I'm holding it out to you, but I need this to work in me, is the Word of God must have priority. It must trump my opinions. Now, lots of things are different today than they were in Timothy's day. Right? I mean, we've got indoor plumbing. You guys thankful for that? Yeah. I mean, there was an indoor plumbing in, he in the Garden of Eden. I wonder if we'll have that in heaven. Now, how's that all work out? Maybe it's better than what we currently understand or know. Maybe we don't need it whatsoever. You know, we've got electricity now, so we can have, you know, kind of this way of protecting ourselves with heat and with um, air, things of that nature. Uh, we've got technology, which has made all sorts of advancements. And when you think about the last couple hundred years, it's crazy where we came from to where we currently are. You know, just, and not even that long ago, think of a time where there's no computer. Right? To now, people can have a computer on their wrist. Or they can wear it in their glasses and they can hit a button and what they see in front of them is like a little computer screen. Isn't that crazy? And they can talk out loud and this thing starts doing stuff. It's just insane. Or you guys may have seen the one, this guy wears a bracelet. Kind of like this. And he can hit a button and it's like a phone shows up on his wrist. Have you seen that? And he can stand there and he can dial a phone number here. It's just like his phone. You do like this and it changes pages and there's nothing there except skin. I mean, it's just, isn't that crazy? You know, we think we've come a long way and we have, but we're really not any different than we were when Paul was talking to Timothy. Do we still have false doctrines? Yeah. Do we still have people distorting, you know, the truth, trying to water it down to maybe appeal to more people? Absolutely. We've got those things going on. What else does he say here? He says there's willful sin. You've got people who are saying, I love Jesus, but then they're doing things just willfully sinning. It's totally contrary to sound doctrine. Here's some of the things he listed. Lawbreakers. We have lawbreakers? Yeah. You know, to be the most blessed country supposedly on the planet, we have more people in prison than anybody else on the planet. Isn't that weird? We have all this great opportunity, and yet we've got more people in prison. We've got countries around the world who are closing prisons because they can't put anybody in them. They're law-abiding citizens, and they're supposedly second-world or third-world countries. Uh, irregardless here, we've still got lawbreakers. We've got rebels. We've got the ungodly, sinful, unholy, irreligious. And Paul knew 
all this could have an influence on Timothy. So it's one thing to hold out what's true, but it's something different to let that truth affect you and change you and transform me. You know what I'm saying? Those two things have got to jive. They've got to mesh up. So my life has got to match what I am saying. Like a word that's not lived out will be a word that's unheard. Okay, that's a word that your children go, I don't buy that. You don't even believe it. Right? You show up at this building on Sunday and you say you love this God, but then you live throughout your week and there's nothing about your life that reflects that you love God. Like to a child that goes, that makes no sense, Mom. That makes no sense, Dad or Grandma or Grandpa. Like if you love God, you would do this. If I don't see this, it just makes me wonder, why do you even show up? Why do you walk through the doors? Why do you drive there? Why do you put money? Why do you sing? Why do you talk? Our life has to be influenced by sound doctrine. So that's what I mean when I'm saying doctrine that's sound must have priority in my life. So to protect Timothy, Paul's going to give him some advice. And this is at the end of this chapter. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies that were once made about you so that by recalling them, you might fight the battle well. All right? He's saying, listen, you're going to be right in the front line here. You're going to face people who believe that it's okay to rebel. It's okay to be lawbreakers. It's okay to be irreligious. It's okay to be sexually immoral. That's going to infiltrate the church. Those are the people who are going to say, I love Jesus. You've got to protect it. But you've got to start with yourself. And so how do you do it? How do you battle well? You hold on to faith in this good conscience, which some have rejected and have so suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. And so Paul, as a father to Timothy, is writing to him and saying, Listen, my son, you've got to guard yourself. You're in a battle. And to battle well, then hold on to Christ. All right? Hold on to your faith and that good conscience there. Hold on to that sound doctrine, those things that are true. Let that serve you as your compass. Let that be the priority of every decision or every mindset that you have. So we hold on not only by knowing what's true and holding it out, but we can battle well here as we trust the plan to let the Word of God have priority in my life. And we talked about it this morning in our Bible study, and we've talked about that many times here before. We've got to go ahead and make our mind up that we're going to do some things, right? You can hate me. I will unconditionally love, love you. That's a mindset, Right? Uh, Paul wrote and said, that's an attitude. Let this attitude be in you, which is also in Jesus. All right? God, everybody should have exalted him and, and just loved him. He could have come with great pomp and circumstance. Every, he could have had the best kingdom the world has ever known. And yet he takes on flesh and says, no, I'm going to set aside being God for a while because we need to go die for these people. We're their only hope. And so we see there the example of having the attitude of Christ. Letting what I believe to be true influence me so that the end result is I'm being changed and transformed as well. So let sound doctrine have priority in your life. Have you ever come to a text where you go, I'm not sure that I agree with that? Or we try to justify it? Now, I was reading part of my devotion this morning was how we come up with reasons to justify our desires that go against the Word of God. I want to live this way, and so often what I'll do is look for something that can, I can maybe distort just a little bit or with, remove part of it and still find approval to live the way that I want to. So uh, I had a conversation, or I saw a conversation rather, um, about four or five weeks ago, and I, I mentioned this here as well then, but uh, a friend posted a little t-shirt, and the t-shirt said, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. All right? Now, how does, that, does, how does that work in you? 
You don't have to tell me, but I know how it worked in me. And so when I initially read that, I was like, I don't think so. You're like, those two things, I'm not asking you to be perfect, but it sounds like you're justifying your desire to live in a way that's contrary to sound doctrine. But then as I watched some other posts start coming up there, I was like, wow, I'd never thought about it through that vantage point. Right? So what I'm trying to get at, sometimes we've got to make, well, not sometimes, all the time we've got to make sure that our doctrine is sound. What we're standing on and holding out and being transformed by is correct so that we're being shaped more like Christ to see things correctly. So maybe you have, maybe that's not a big deal for you. I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. Um, what about if you were married? I love Jesus, but I cheat on my spouse a little. Does that change the context any? You guys okay with that? You know, I love Jesus, but I lie a little. Anybody okay with that? You want that bumper sticker? No. All right, so the idea here again is we've got to let what's true be changing us. And so let's say that I came in here today and said, you know what, you're never going to believe what's happened to me. I turned in my taxes April 15th. And, you know, being self-employed, there, there's some ways that I can work things to really take advantage of the system. And so what I was able to do was to count all of you guys as my dependents. And so we went from six to about 50. And what ended up happening is I did this all online on the computer. And when I got to the bottom line, you know how much money I owed the government? I owed them zero because my income was very little and I had a ton of dependents. You know what happens when you have little income and a ton of dependents? You get money back, right? And the more dependents you have, the more money you can get back. So they cut me a check for 50 grand. Can you believe that? Now, I'm lying to you right now, okay? Some of you are like, I can't believe you did that, all right? But what if I had done that? And then I stood, stood here and tried to teach this text. That there are perjurers and there are liars and they're contrary to sound doctrine. You wouldn't listen to me at all, would you? Now I'm not perfect, right? We've said before there's no white throne in here that a pastor sits on. We've said the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all stand there equal. But I am striving and to stand here and boast or brag that I love Jesus and then boast or brag that I lied and took advantage of the system and got 50 grand, that should cause you to want to rise up and say, no, 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 we're not doing that. Right? Kind of like Zacchaeus. You're going to give that back, pastor, and you're going to pay back interest, pastor. You're going to refile your taxes, pastor, and we're going to help you file your taxes from this point forward, pastor. Right? You wouldn't throw me away and say, oh, he's terrible. No, you'd work to help me and restore me. But man, I hope you'd have a problem with me saying, I love Jesus, but I cheat on my taxes. All right? The Word of God must have priority in our life. Whatever it says, I've got to submit. I must bow the knee there. So to trust the plan means we've got to let it have its way in our own lives and not just in other people. Let's go three here. All right? Our lives are going to be able then to do what we've sung about today. When I trust the plan, when you trust the plan, our lives display that there is a God who has the ability to save. When I trust the plan, and when you trust the plan. 
So here in just, uh, let's see, June, July, August, September, in about three months, I'm going to take off on a plane with four other guys. And we're going to head off to Haiti for this pastor's conference. About 200 lay pastors and had zero training other than the Holy Spirit training. And these guys work 16-hour days, like six and seven days a week. They're from, away from their families for weeks on end, and they come back and try to pastor house churches and uh, small churches just like us right here. And so we're going trying to put some tools in their belt and try to love on them, encourage them, pray for them, just want to refresh them. And so listening to the pastor who is organizing this thing talk about Haiti. You know, he talks about poverty, and he talks about seeing hungry children. He talks about all the orphans that they have there in Haiti. He talks about um, how their lifespan is not very long. Uh, he talks about all the issues they face with jobs and with housing. And I saw a picture of a house. It was like, you know, the metal that's on the outside of this building? It was like some scrap metal just leaned up against a tree. And there was a, a guy and his daughter. That's their home. Right? So you look at that and just... But he says, listen, all these things are temporary and not that we shouldn't meet the temporary. But he says, the biggest need that Haiti has is Jesus. We've got spiritual warfare. You might remember Pierre Alexis. You remember when he came here for his glory orphanage? He came here on a Sunday night five or six years ago and shared kind of the, the voodoo perspective there and how it's intense how it's thick, it's heavy, it's real. Like you can feel um, spiritual warfare there. And uh, Pastor Jepte says, our greatest need is for people to partner with us to help get out the word of the gospel. Because our biggest need is Jesus. Now, when you think about that, just answer, does God know that? Does God know that Haiti has a need and needs Jesus? Yeah. Is there a need in Granite City, Pontoon Beach, Mitchell, or all these areas that we come from? People there lost, right? I mean, we've talked about it already today. Sure. Does God know that there are people right around us in our families, in places of work, in places of school, in neighborhoods that don't believe in Him? Okay, yeah, God knows that. So what is He determined to do about it? Right? Is there any plan? We're talking about trusting His plan. Is there any plan at this point? Well, we're going to say there is, and here it is. Paul writes and says to Timothy, here's a trustworthy saying. He's saying, trust this plan. This is the plan of God. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world. Why? To save sinners, period. All right? Then he, well, the tag is, I'm the worst one. But Christ came on mission, and his mission is not just about healing blind or feeding hungry or adopting the orphan, although that's part of it. But there's a bigger mission even in those things. And the bigger mission is He came to save sinners. So whether that's, you know, on a different um, island or country, or if that's in our backyard, God knows that there are people all around us who are lost. So here's a trustworthy saying, and you and I have got to trust in it. Full accept. Full acceptance. Paul says, I'm the worst. And he's going to display or explain why, he's, why this should receive full, uh, you should receive this with full acceptance. He says, for that reason, me being the worst, I was shown mercy so that in me, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. And then this doxology. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, 
be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Like Paul could never talk about the grace that he experienced without giving praise to God for how he had been changed, not only from Saul to Paul, but transformed literally. Great mercy had flowed towards me. He says, the grace of God was poured out on me abundantly. And I'm the worst sinner ever. And the reason he showed the worst sinner ever mercy was to lay out a plan. What's the plan? The plan is that you and I, people who've received mercy, might display the immense patience of God so that others could see that there's a Savior who's working on their behalf and they in turn could look to Him and be saved. See, the plan is you. You're the plan. And by the way, there's no other plan. Okay? Uh, I heard a guy recently, Alistair Begg, talked about how God didn't plan to open the skies and stick his head through one day and play peekaboo. Here I am. I told you I'm real. Now you can believe in me. Right? That's not the plan. The plan isn't just to do all sorts of miraculous things all around and draw people in through miracles. Right? The plan isn't for mountains to all of a sudden develop eyes and noses and mouths and mountains start speaking. Have you ever seen a mountain talk? No. We haven't, have we? We would say, that's crazy. You, know, you were hallucinating. or Whatever you were smoking, you got something mixed in with it because you were just not thinking clearly. That doesn't happen. And you're right, it doesn't. So he's not going to poke his head through. He's not going to do this great miracle over and over and over again. He's not going to make mountains speak. He saved you to use you to help other people know that there's a God who has immense patience for those who don't believe so that they will believe. And they'll receive him. And they'll have that hope and that faith and that good conscience that Paul told Timothy that he had earlier. You know, someone told you about Jesus who had been transformed by Jesus. True? Are any of us here today because an unbeliever shared Christ with us? Anybody? Okay, so if we're believers here... We came to faith in Christ through someone who had been transformed by Christ. True? Or was in the process still yet of being transformed. God used their mouth, their life to help us see his immense patience towards us, sinners in need of a Savior, extending love towards us, spirit wooing us, drawing us, so then we could respond with faith in his Son. That's the plan. And it's not any different. Like earlier I asked you, do you have people in your life that don't believe in Jesus? And we said yes. And then I asked you, do you believe that God can use you to reach them? I mean, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that you're positioned beside a neighbor that God could use you to help that man, woman, boy, or girl know there's a God and believe in Him as their Savior? See, if we believe it, then we will What? then we'll live like it. If I believe God can save my neighbor, I'll talk to my neighbor and watch. God, you're going to save them? Like, are you going to draw them? Are they going to receive you? I mean, this is the plan. We've got all sorts of plans this week. I wonder, do our plans include being used by God to help somebody become a believer? Are we just going to go through our summer, you know, vacation and work and it's garden time, I need to water my flowers and pull some weeds, cut the grass and all this kind of, there's stuff we've got to do. Man, if the plan is to be used to help other people know Him, 
if Christ is really still able to save, if we say I really trust that plan, then that influences how I live my day. And so I want to encourage you to pray. God, give me opportunities. Be intentional about how you live. Ask God to lead you to people who need Him. See, I firmly believe this. If you're breathing, you've got God purpose here. Right? When you check out, then go ahead and retire. But until then, it's God purpose. It's God mission. That's the way we're to live. So we've got a God who's got plans. And what he's asking his people to do is just trust his plan. And part of trusting it means we've got to uphold it. You know, Paul listed these people, they're liars. One of the greatest problems we have in our country is lying. Right? Flip on two news stations, and they're telling the exact opposite, what they would call fact. What's going on there? They're lying. And we say, oh, this channel, these people would never lie. Yeah, they would. Because they want you to see it from your perspective. Or from their perspective. No. They got all the facts straight. No, they don't. They want you to see it from their perspective. And so we might buy into this channel and we flip to this channel. They're all liars over here. Right? They got it all wrong. Our whole system's a mess. You know, I'm pretty gullible. And sometimes I just think we live in a pretty good world. We don't. We live in an evil world. Like I get shocked when I find out people are lying. I get shocked when I find out somebody took advantage of somebody. I get shocked. Like here last night, I was shocked to learn that a, a, a mama just walked away from her family. What? These are good people. They don't do that. It shouldn't shock me at all. And we've got massive issues. As Christians, sometimes we've got massive issues with trust. We trust the news station or the media or what a guy like me says rather than what the Word of God says. And how good is it? Just like the song wrote, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to, what? Take Him at His Word. Just to rest upon His promise. Just to know, what? Thus saith the Lord. Isn't that good? Well, my pastor says, I don't care what your pastor says. Hopefully he's saying what's true. What I want to know is what does God say? All right? It's sweet to know, thus saith the Lord. And so we've got to trust the plan. And we've got people right now, I've got friends right now, who are trying to convince people like me that, that for a guy and a guy to marry and live together, God loves that. And He's pleased with that. And how dare you stand up and say that that's in violation and that they are sinning. They love Jesus. And they're committed to one another and they're devoted to one another and they love one another. And they'll talk about how you don't say anything about the people who are living together. You don't say anything about that. You just let that go as though it's no big deal. You don't say anything to people who are, like I said earlier, they cuss a little. Like you're making your big platform this whole thing about 
commitment and love between two people. All I'm saying is, we're facing what Timothy's facing. Christians who've got a false view of what God has said. They're not applying sound doctrine. They're moving away from the gospel. Right? That's the culture that we live in. And we think, oh, it's bad now. Listen, if Paul is asking Timothy to guard against these things, it was bad then. And it's been bad ever since. It's not a good world. It's under the curse. It's our job to hold out what's true so that the end goal is that people will love God. And maybe they don't, but maybe they do. And so we hold it out, and we hold that in, and we let it transform who we are. It takes precedent, priority. If this is thus saith the Lord, then that is how I'll live. And I will bend that direction all day, every day. We need to go ahead and make our minds up that direction. Because the end result then is what we just talked about here. Our lives display the immense patience of God for those who have yet to believe so that they might see there's a God who loves them, receive them, Him as their only hope, and be saved and have that eternal life. So if that's the plan, and our role is to trust the plan, I just want to ask you, are you trusting the plan? Are you trusting the plan?